0: Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, March 8, 2022. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. David Cobb is here with me, and as previously noted, we're doing short episodes on the top six conference tournaments. That's the ACC tournament, Big Ten tournament, Big 12 tournament, Big East tournament, Pac-12 tournament, and the SEC tournament. This episode, it's on the SEC tournament, which starts Wednesday down in Tampa. Auburn is the outright SEC champion, so Bruce Pearl's Tigers, they are the number one seed. That means they will not play until Friday's quarterfinals. Same goes for the other three top four seeds. That's uh, two-seed Tennessee, three-seed Kentucky, and the four-seed, which is Arkansas. Right now, Jerry Palm has Auburn projected as a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. He has Kentucky projected as a number two seed. My guess is that if either one of them wins the SEC tournament, that team, the winner, Will get a one seed in the other in the NCAA tournament, um, and the other team, whether it's Auburn or Kentucky, will likely be a two, or at worst, a three seed. Is that how you see it as well, David? Winner, as long as it's Auburn, Kentucky, going to be a one seed on Selection Sunday, and if Auburn and Kentucky, if you know, if they don't win it, then I think Auburn slips to a two, maybe Kentucky slips to a three at worst, but. Uh, if one of them can cut nets in florida uh, they'll get a one seed a little
1: later on on sunday afternoon sure and it'll depend on what happens in the other leagues as well i kind of see it similarly in the big 12 like if kansas beats baylor uh in the big 12 title game then i would see kansas getting the one seed over baylor that's the same way as the sec i'm not a bracketologist but it seems like winning a conference tournament title when you are right there on the cusp especially in a year like this where the the that line between one and two is not as delineated perhaps as it has been in years past. I would think it it would count for something. So especially considering the fact that if we get a Kentucky Auburn uh, showdown in the title game, it'll only be the second meeting. We never got a rematch and you were there for the first one on sideline duty for CBS. How different is that game? If uh, Kentucky has tie-tie Washington for the entirety of it, if, if severe Wheeler doesn't have to leave the game for several minutes in the second half, after running into another screen and what would have happened if Auburn had made a return trip to Lexington, these are questions that uh, hopefully we'll get answers to this week.
0: It's impossible to know what would have happened if Ty Ty Washington didn't have to lose. I uh, didn't have to leave that game, but we can talk about where that game was when he left. Kentucky was up nine points and then Kentucky had to play. I believe the final 28 minutes uh, without Ty Ty and they were outscored by 18 points in 28 minutes they were up nine when he left they lost the game by nine after the game it's interesting um, because one of the Kentucky players and I don't want to name them because I don't want to get it confused I don't want to uh, assign this quote to the wrong person but I remember one of the Kentucky players at least saying we think we're better than them you know immediately after a loss to them said we think we're better than them we want to play them again. Obviously, we did not get a home and home in the regular season between these two schools, uh, but they could meet in uh, the championship game on on Sunday, which with all due respect to Tennessee, Arkansas, Alabama, LSU, everybody else in the league, I think another Auburn Kentucky game um, is what you know, you're you're that's what most people would like to see. And if it does come down to that, on sunday i think the winner is guaranteed a one seed and the loser is a two or in kentucky's case if it were to lose maybe slip to a three but it, it, you could see a situation where auburn kentucky play for the sec tournament title and on selection sunday regardless who you know, who wins uh, the winners a one and the loser is a two seed you know, auburn is eight and four in quadrant one, six and zero oh in quadrant two, so they're twenty-seven and four overall, fourteen and four in the first two quadrants, and they're going to play either Texas A&M or Florida on Friday. Could get Arkansas in the semifinals, and then we'll probably either get Tennessee or Kentucky in the title game. Kentucky, uh, you know, impressive resume: eight and six in quadrant one, four and zero oh in quadrant two, so twenty-five and six overall. You know, two of those losses come when Ty Tai Washington has to leave. Andor or severe Wheeler has to leave early. Uh, they're twenty five and six overall, twelve and six in the first two quadrants, zero losses outside of quadrant one, zero losses at home. Um, if they were, they're they're likely going to play Alabama on Friday, then probably Tennessee on Saturday. And whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, to- whoa, whoa, whoa! Let me start – you. don't see Georgia making a run, <laughs> putting Tom putting Tom Crean on, on their on their shoulders, and, and well, I was, really.
0: I was about to go to. I was about to go to the go-to line, which is crazier things that happened, But like, in, <laughs> crazier things probably haven't really happened they're, they're crazier than that. So uh, no, I don't think George is going to be in the SEC tournament too long. So Kentucky uh, probably plays Alabama on Friday. Then I guess likely Tennessee on Saturday, and then either Auburn, Arkansas, or LSU on Sunday if they get that far. So Kentucky could, and this is my point theoretically at three quadrant one wins in the sec tournament there is a path for them to do that and that would if they added them get them to 11 and 6 in quadrant one with zero losses outside of quadrant one that would i think undeniably be one seed worthy and while we're talking about these one seeds i think it's important to note um we are recording this shortly before gonzaga saint mary's tips off on tuesday night in the west coast conference tournament title game if Gonzaga wins that, they're the number one overall seed. If they lose it, I still think they're a one seed. So the Zags are going to lock up. You know, There's four one seeds. One of them belongs to Gonzaga. I think Arizona is going to get another. So whether it's Kentucky, Auburn, Baylor, Kansas, Purdue, all these schools are probably just competing for two spots on that top line. And I think it really might come down to who wins the sec tournament who wins the big 12 tournament kansas baylor yeah if one of if one of kansas baylor wins the big 12 that's a one seed if one of kentucky auburn wins the sec that's a one seed to go with arizona and gonzaga
1: this week could make it really hard on the selection committee though because i don't know that in the big 12 the sec the big 10 i don't think there's any guarantee in any of those conferences that these things are just going to be uh the, the clear cut favorites cutting down the nets on Saturday and Sunday, because look at the sec. We've talked a lot about Auburn and Kentucky so far, but certainly think Tennessee or Arkansas sure. tipping my hand a little bit here, but have a chance to to go and, and win it this week. And then in the big 12, would anyone be stunned if, if Texas tech ended up emerging from that thing or, or maybe even Texas, I wouldn't be. And then the big 10, I mean, who knows? There's feels like there's eight teams in that, in that joint, who could, who could win the thing. So I mean, these scenarios that we discuss, where uh, a potential number one seed wins the league tournament, th- that to me makes it easy on the committee. But what would make it difficult on the committee? is, yeah, you got Gonzaga, Arizona, Penciled in as number ones, but then it's just a convoluted mess of teams with similar resumes who all lost in the semifinals of their conference tournament, you know, jockeying for those last two number one seeds.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the the wild thing about uh, these tournaments is that, you know, when you look at the West Coast Conference bracket, when it comes out, you go, okay, we're probably headed for Gonzaga against St. Mary's in the title game. Um, I, you know, Kentucky and Auburn would be the most likely matchup we would get, I think. But, no, there'd be nothing crazy about Tennessee winning this or Arkansas winning this or, I mean, even Alabama, I guess, given that Alabama's got big wins on its resume. And you go to the Big 12, you're exactly right. You know, We're sitting here talking about if if Baylor wins it, they're a one seed. If Kansas wins it, we are a one seed. Well, what happens if Texas Tech wins it? I think then maybe Baylor is a one seed still because they've got an incredible resume. Um, But, yeah, there's no guarantee these things, obviously, are going to play out um, the way that they're supposed to play out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level level. Learn more and purchase the two way at newbalance.com.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H track all wheel drive and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um, Let's talk
0: bubble teams for a second. There's two in the SEC, and they happen to play each other Thursday in the 8-9 game at noon Eastern. It's Texas A&M and Florida. Jerry Palm right now has Florida as his second team out of the field. Texas A&M in a little worse shape. So this seems like an obvious elimination game, right? Let's just start right there. The loser of this game, the winner of this game, I still don't think is guaranteed
1: anything, but the loser of that game is going
0: to the NIT. Yeah, I mean,
1: let's just talk about the fact, too, that Texas A&M is actually on the bubble. I mean, mm-hmm. wh- where did they come from? I mean, you, you talk about teams that, that. Uh, I mean, we've talked about Alabama, perhaps, and LSU as these chaos teams in the SEC this season, and rightfully so, but my gosh, Texas A&M is right up there with them. Started out something like 14-2, and two, and then lost eight games in a row in the SEC, and now all of a sudden they've won five out of their last six, and uh, Quentin Jackson's on a heater. I mean, I had to genuinely like do some research on Texas A&M because they're one of those teams that have just been so far off the radar all year, and then going through what they went through between mid-January and mid-February, there was no reason to watch them. There was no reason to think they were going to do anything relevant. So the fact that they've managed to play their way onto the bubble, it feels like they're entering this SEC tournament with a lot more momentum than Florida.
0: Well, what, what's interesting about AM is just like you described, so um, listen, Buzz Williams is a the coach there, so they you know, going to garner some attention because he's won everywhere he's been, and eventually I, I do believe he's going to win here too. They start fourteen and two, but there's like what a, a Notre Dame win in there is the only thing of any significance. So it's it's actually started fifteen and two. So it's not like this fifteen and two start that uh, gets you ranked. They still were just barely at that point inside the top sixty at Ken Palm. And then you know after getting four wins to open SEC play, they had an Arkansas win in there as well. Um, they go on this long losing streak. Lose to Kentucky, Arkansas, LSU, South Carolina, Tennessee, Missouri, LSU, Auburn. At that point, you're like, okay, well, this is done. Cute little story. Got off to a nice start, but now this is what AM is. And then they close by lo- winning um, five of their last six. Incredibly, the lone loss was uh, in that stretch to Vanderbilt. They beat Florida. Uh, they beat Alabama. They beat Mississippi State. I still think they've got significant amount of work to do because the resume at this moment is three and eight in quadrant one uh three and one in quadrant two so six and nine in the first two quadrants with two additional quadrant three losses like they got work to do florida uh can maybe get a bid by beating a&m and then beating auburn i think texas a&m probably needs to beat florida then needs to beat auburn and might need to win a semifinal game too, and that would come against probably Arkansas or LSU, so it's a it's a difficult climb.
1: I don't know, you beat Auburn, and, and you're talking about an A&M team that, am I right, they're already at 20 wins, and I know that those wins included in that total it, not a whole lot of marquee stuff, but you beat Auburn for a you know, uh, on a neutral site just a few days before Selection Sunday, that's going to that's resonate, that's going to pop, and that puts you at 22 and 12, potentially, if you were to bow out then in the semifinals. I don't know. That that feels pretty strong to me, but we'll see. A lot of it's going to depend on what happens elsewhere on the bubble. Texas A&M, kind of the team I had penciled in on the, uh, the dark horse line in this tournament. I mean, they, they've been playing some of their best ball. Like I mentioned, Quentin Jackson on, on a heater, kind of putting that team on his back offensively. And – you know, Buzz Williams is the coach, so I'll take him over Mike White, honestly, if we're, if we're looking at a coaching matchup in this second-round game. So, I mean, we'll see. Getting past Auburn feels like a little bit of an issue for me, but they only played them once, and it was at Auburn, which I feel like in some ways you just throw out everything that happened on the home floor of one of the top four teams in this conference because those four teams in league games this year were 35-1 and one combined at home. But you get them on the road or you get them on a neutral floor and all of a sudden they're a lot more susceptible. And this thing's being played in Tampa Bay, Florida. So it feels to me like there could be some more upsets, some more tight finishes than maybe you would expect just by looking at the standings where you see that clear delineation between the top four seeds and everyone else. I'm not saying I'm predicting a Texas A&M upset of Auburn, but I honestly wouldn't be shocked by it either.
0: Well, Auburn is only five and three in its past eight games. They've
1: been a little shaky. You know, a little shaky. Still very good. The guards got to get it going for them, man. Like, right. when I was all up on Auburn earlier this year, Katie Johnson and Wendell Green were were going nuts. Everybody was just kind of waiting for Alan Flanagan to return to his uh, form that he enjoyed last year when he was their leading scorer. And, like, you know, as of late, it's been a little rough in the backcourt for Auburn. And I still like those guys. I think they're chaos agents who just play with a lot of swag and confidence and, like, guys that you can really – get behind and buy into and, and who you would want to play with as a player but uh they need to show it i need to see 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 more good Wendell green and more good katie johnson than we've seen as of late
0: they strike me as the type of guards that are great to have when you know when when you're rolling like you know when you're up and you you're just you're beating somebody's brains in but when you are down two at the under four those guards make you nervous because both of them are supremely confident and they can make plays and they can make shots, but boy, they take some bad shots and, you know, uh, 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 create some less than ideal possessions late in games. And
1: well, let me, let me ask you this, Gary, what's the, what's the ideal uh, possession look like or the uh, the usage rate or whatever? Because like with Javari Smith, he's had some of his most statistically impressive games over this eight-game stretch, but as you mentioned, they're 5-3 and over that stretch. So all season long, everyone all around the country has been saying, yo, we got to get Jabari Smith 20 shots a game, 18 to 20 shots a game, more more like something in that neighborhood as opposed to a lot of nights, November through January, where you were seeing him only shoot the ball 9, 10, 11 times a game. Well, all of a sudden, he does start taking 18 to 20 shots a game, and that's when you see them start to lose games. So – so what's that balance, and do you trust that Bruce is going to find that balance now as we get within a week or so of their season being on the line every time they touch the floor?
0: I don't mind Jabari Smith getting 20 shots, you know, 15 to 20 shots. That's fine with me. He's uniquely talented. The issue with him being your best player, it's a good problem to have because he's unbelievable, but he's not really a guy you just throw the ball to and and say, go make a play. He's not very good bouncing it, um, you know. Th- th- that's ob- an obvious thing that's going to have to improve as he embarks on a professional career. So typically, when you're talking about a guy who's a projected number one pick, or at least a potential number one pick, um, who is a perimeter-oriented player, it's going to be somebody that you can throw it to on the wing and go tell you know go, th- go make a play, or set a ball screen for him and let him go make a play. Like, Paolo Bencaro can go make a play. Chet Holmgren can go make a play. Jabari, again, because he doesn't really bounce it too well or often, um, you've, you've got to sort of put him in a position to make a shot. And so I don't want to oversimplify it, but, you know, whatever he gets in transition, he's going to get in transition. But what Auburn has got to figure out, um, if it really wants to compete for a national title, is how do you handle late-game situations, getting the ball into your best player's hands in a place where he can succeed, do something with it? Auburn's got this weird thing. I wonder if there's any other team in the country like this. Um, their two best players are not really players you throw it to in you know, a late-shot clock, late-game situation. Like, you know, you know, Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith, they get what they get, but I don't know that you're running stuff for them in a down by one with 14 seconds left situation.
1: Well, and uh, they tried it in that loss. Was it at Florida, right? Where Wendell Green has the ball in, the, in his hands at the top of the key. And they, they set up a high pick and roll with Walker Kessler. The look is there momentarily, but Wendell doesn't can't make the pass for whatever right. reason. And then you got Jabari coming off of a screen on the wing, but Wendell decides to put his head down and, and drive to try and go make something happen. And it's like, yo, you know, you got your two best players there available on that play, and and it it doesn't doesn't happen, you know. I wonder
0: if the the the, the best spot for them in that spot is just uh a pick and pop with Jabari. You know he's he's legit six eleven, can shoot over anybody. He's a great shooter. Like, why is the worst thing in the world just getting him a pick and pop jumper? Like, you know, I I take that over a lot of the stuff we get from Katie Johnson and Wendell Green. But I'll let Bruce Pearl and his staff figure that out. Um, you know, they they've uh, they've they've done a nice job this season. I mean, they're a projected one seed right now. So we're nitpicking a little bit. When you are in championship week and projected one seed, your problems are smaller than most people's problems. But Auburn in a late game situation, um, you know that can get a little, a, a little tricky. Um, right now, Jerry Palm projects it as a six bid league: the SEC, Auburn as a one seed, Kentucky as a two seed, Tennessee as a three seed, Arkansas as a four seed, and then Alabama and LSU as five seeds. So six bids all top five seeds. And I ultimately do not think Florida or A&M gets there. I don't think they're going to crack it. I think be th- the winner of that first game will lose the second game to Auburn. I would uh, I-, I would assume. But again, you know, wild things happen sometimes. What do you got for the SEC tournament title game?
1: Yeah, I'm going Arkansas uh, over Kentucky. And Uh, You know, woo pig, uh, woo pig, uh, obviously. So the reason I like Arkansas here is because if you look at their numbers and just pull up their page on Sports Reference or what have you, you're like, oh, my gosh, this poor J.D. Notte, he gets no help whatsoever. And that was the case, in fact, during November and December and even into January when they started out one and three in the SEC. But as of late, Arkansas has been getting a lot of help. And so I think this is an Arkansas team that is very much following the formula of last year's Elite Eight team, a team that is getting a lot better as the season goes on. So Stanley Omude, Stanley 15.4 over his last 10. Jalen Williams, 14.4 and 10.4 rebounds a game over his last 10. And then Aldis Tony, averaging 10 points a game over his last 10 as well. And during that span, you've seen Devo Davis start to shoot the, th- the three ball fairly well in addition. So J.D. Note is starting to get help, which is what this Arkansas team needed all along to be good. And they've already beaten Auburn once. Uh, they've already beaten Kentucky as well. So I've got Arkansas over Kentucky in the SEC title game. Now, granted, both of those victories I mentioned for Arkansas over those teams came at Bud Walton Arena. And we've covered the fact that these top four teams were just dominant at home. So the neutral site element of it does make it interesting. But It's not as if they'll be playing at Rupp Arena or playing at Auburn Arena. So I think Arkansas is the hot team right now. Their only two losses in the last two months are by one at Alabama and by four at Tennessee. So that's a team that's playing pretty well.
0: I've got the same title game. I've got Kentucky against Arkansas. My semifinals would be Auburn against Arkansas, Tennessee against Kentucky. Then I got uh, Kentucky and Arkansas advancing to the championship game. And then I've got Kentucky winning it. I said on an episode of the Auburn College Basketball Podcast – a few weeks ago that i thought kentucky would lose one more time in the regular season and then not lose again until the ncaa tournament and that they would be a one seed in the ncaa tournament and i think at this point we are on track for that they lost at arkansas by a bucket and now i just need them to win the uh sec tournament and they'll be right where i thought they'd be uh ultimately i think that's what happens i think kentucky wins this thing remember kentucky has a home court advantage wherever it goes uh you, you it, it is technically a neutral court situation but you'll see a lot of kentucky blue in that building for every game I don't you know those arkansas
1: play. people though they're they're on another level right now
0: yeah and arkansas has been playing really well like you said 14 and 2 past 16 games lone losses alabama tennessee on the road by a total of 5 points. So I'm just going with frankly the team I think is the best in the league right now cuz like we mentioned Auburn's been a little shaky 5 and 3 in their past eight games. I think Kentucky's the best team in the league and not not necessarily the team that deserves to be ranked highest right now. But I think I got to win a game tomorrow. I want to I'll take Kentucky if I got to take an SEC representative,
1: yeah. For and sure. then Ar- I mean, its just exciting to see them with Severe Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington fully healthy in games right. that significantly matter. That's right. just been the story for them all season long: is getting those guys right and getting them healthy. And I think that they're going to be better in the long run for having gone through what they went through with those two players, where they were in and out of the lineup, uh, started games but didn't finish them, et cetera, et cetera. I think that sort of adversity and the fact that. You know, uh, within the last month, Kentucky was able to win consecutive games against LSU and Alabama, I believe, without them in the lineup. I feel like that experience is going to, to benefit this team as a whole moving forward because they've shown that they can handle adversity, which sounds like a, a cliche of some sort. But now that we're in March, uh, that kind of stuff actually matters. Oh,
0: sure. And so, um, you know, Kentucky. Uh, I think is the best team. It's ceiling the highest of any team in the SEC. I'll take them to win it. Arkansas has been playing as well as anybody in the country. Uh, like we mentioned, 14-2, past 16 games. Tennessee is another interesting option. And I won't be surprised if Tennessee wins this thing. It, it'll run counter to what I think is going to happen, but I won't be shocked. The only issue with Tennessee is they've got some big wins. Everything just about is at home. Uh, you know, Away from home, I think the biggest win is probably a neutral court over north carolina back when north carolina wasn't any good so if you want to be skeptical of the vols and i'm not but the thing that you would point out is um they're not playing another game in thompson bowling arena the rest of the season so um so you know how dangerous are they Eh, watch them they'll go to a final four for the first time in school history now but it is notable that most of their big stuff it, it happened in knoxville
1: yeah, no doubt. Hey, how many of these uh, coaches in the SEC that we're gonna see over these next few days? Um, how many of them are are we not gonna see again next year? That to me is an interesting storyline because, like Kareem, you know, we know he's done, right? Yeah, that's, but, I mean,
0: Yeah, I mean that's done. I mean, I mean,
1: you know, Kermit Conzo, uh, Mike White, maybe Frank Martin, Ben Howland. Oh, mean, there's a lot. Still, I think
0: I think right now, like if you just run through it, I'm looking at conference standings. Um, Obviously, Bruce Pearl's back. John Calipari's back. Rick Barnes is back. Eric Musselman's back. Will Wade? Uh, yeah. They just got their notice of allegations reportedly um, uh, recently. So as long as he didn't get caught up with the violation stuff, he'll be back. But, you know, we'll see. Um, obviously, Nate Oates is back. Mike White is interesting. Like if Florida were to lose to Texas a and miss the NCAA tournament, if Ole Miss let it be known, if he let it be known to Ole Miss, I'll, I, I'm ready to bounce to my alma mater. Would that trigger Ole Miss making a move on Kermit Davis? I mean, maybe, but for whatever it's worth, when I talked to somebody within the past few days about Kermit, they seem to think Kermit was going to be safe at Ole Miss, that Kermit would be back at Ole Miss. People are less sure about Ben Howland at Mississippi State. You know, He's barring a surprise about to – Finish his seventh season with zero NCAA tournament wins. Um, There's a lot of. I was so optimistic.
1: I was so optimistic. Look at the neutral class. Rocket Watts, DJ Jeffries, uh, Iverson Molinar was back. There were so many reasons to think that they would at least go like 10 and 8 in the league.
0: I thought they were a borderline top 25 team in the preseason, and it just never took shape. They're 17 and 14 now, 8 and 10 in the league. Um, I think Jerry Stackhouse is back. Conzo I actually think is back I think I, I think they'll give him one more year see if he can rebuild this thing through the transfer portal um Crean it, it seems clear gone I think Frank Martin probably back um, gets one more year Buzz Williams obviously back so the two most likely Tom Crean and Ben Hallen. and I suppose there's a scenario where everybody else is back.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it could be a high turnover league just looking at it because there's just a lot of guys who I don't feel certain about.
0: Oh, sure. Like, it, it, you, you certainly got a lot of guys who are worried or wondering about their jobs right now. Um, if I were to set – how about let's do it like this. I set the over-under at two-and-a-half coaching changes in the SEC. You taking the over or the under?
1: Uh, you know what? Uh, we'll go over. It, the SEC, it just means more, man. No, uh, these, these ADs fire football coaches just left and right, so – I'll
0: go over. I think over is probably the right bet. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Quincy Miller, 6'9", legend. Average 10.6 points, 37 games for Baylor in the 2011-12 season. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to the Iron College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're here right now, you haven't already smashed the like button, smash it like your Brandon Davies. You know he would do it. You know he would do it if he were here. We should get him here sometime. He could do a tutorial on how what to smash. What about Keller Boothby? Where is he at right now in his true shooting percentage? I got to look that up.
1: I know. I, ho- on- I was hoping you were going to ask me who my most outstanding player of the SEC tournament was going to be, and I was going to throw, throw a Keller Boothby out there for
0: you. Keller Boothby, is he's on the verge of uh, – of maybe being an all-time shout-out. Like I, shout I got to go check the numbers. I haven't checked them in a couple of days. I got to go look at that. If you uh, haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do that. It helps us, and we will talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Let's
1: go! It's the most all-star-studded challenge ever, and this time, it's every competitor for themselves. The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.